The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 199. Over 300 different languages are spoken in London, more than any city in the world. And I still can't understand their bloody English. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show you London afternoon. If you feel your Dublin heart is burning, yeah, well, you don't have to worry, cause we're going in soon. Well, you don't have to worry, cause we're going in soon. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me for the second time on this podcast, one of my favorite guests of all time, and an author whose book, The Road Headed West, was number three on my favorite travel books of all time, British adventurer, author, and filmmaker, Leon McCarran of leonmccarran.com. Leon, thanks for joining us today, and a big welcome back. Hey, it's so good to be back. It's good to chat to you again. It's been a long time, eh? It has been a long time, and we've got a ton of stuff to talk about today. You know, I want to talk about all the crazy projects you've undertaken since we last talked, your newest film, of course, and the friendliest people in the world. Because believe it or not, it's been 16 months, and this is mind-boggling, almost 150 episodes since we last talked. So my first question is, how are you? I'm good. You're making me feel lazy. 150 episodes. That's that's incredible. Um, I'm doing really well. Yeah, I think uh, last time we spoke was just when my first book was coming out, and that was a crazy year. I think 2014 was the probably the most exciting year of my life to date um, because I released that book, but I also did two really big expeditions. And this year has been cool as well, but in a, a totally different way because I've been working on taking all of that content and, and turning it into something that people can enjoy. So I'm good, but I'm, I'm kind of really eager to get back out there on adventures again. Well, and I'm sure you will be. We'll, we'll touch on that of what, what's upcoming. We're going to obviously harken back to the past a little bit because you've done a lot of stuff. And it's funny that you say that you feel lazy because whenever I look at what you're doing, you make me feel like I'm sitting still. It's like, oh, I published a book. It's now an Amazon bestseller. I went on like 16 adventures, this and that. We're making a movie. If we could, if we rewind a little bit, what you published a book last time we talked 16 months ago, Road Headed West, and that's doing really well now, correct? It's It's been amazing. I uh, I sort of hope that people would enjoy it because it's it's about cycling across America, right, which is, is kind of a cool story. But um, it's not that spectacular. Like a bunch of people do it every single year. But it was kind of a rite of passage story. So my hope was that anyone who's ever gone through that felt that tug of wanderlust and, you know, wondered what they're capable of and just taking themselves out there into the world to see what's there. I sort of hoped that they would get on board with the book. And that's been what's happened. So it's it's been it's been super cool. And, it, and it, I find it really hard work writing a book, you know, just sitting down eight hours a day, pouring out my, you know, heart and emotions into this laptop in front of me. And it was, it was kind of a really tough process. But every time I log onto my computer now and someone sent a message saying they enjoyed the book or, you know, I see another rating on Amazon, it's just, it's, it's super cool. It makes me really feel like it was worthwhile. And I've spent so many hours and days of my life enjoying other people's books. It's, it's nice to kind of 
put my own story out there as well. Yeah, and it's cool that you have something there and that, you know, that won't be taken away. It's also interesting to me and I can really relate that a lot of people would say, oh man, it's it's really hard for me to get out there and, and go on this adventure or, you know, do this or do that. And you're saying like, it's really hard for me to sit down at a desk and actually write out, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day and get this book out because I think for us, it's just the the drive to go and do like the newest thing. And it's sometimes hard to sit back and actually just recap what we've done and really kind of let it resonate and get it out there because we want to hop on to the next thing all the time. For sure. Yeah. I think we've, um, we've kind of indulged ourselves, right? People like you and me. And that's, that's cool. Cause I think we've, we've unlocked whole areas of life and experience that a lot of people struggle to because you kind of feel like there's all these barriers in the way. And so I feel amazingly lucky that I've been able to do that. But you're right. It's, it's often the simplest things that are really hard and the the closest thing I can equate writing a book to is having a job. You know, I had to <laughs> I had to go somewhere for eight hours a day and um and I wasn't allowed to leave until it was done, uh, which was really tough. So I, I kind of I feel people's pain. Yeah, and what I loved about the book, and you you mentioned this too, is that it isn't your craziest adventure as far as a lot of people cycle across the US and that doesn't take anything away from anyone who's done it. I've never done it. I think it's an amazing experience. But You've done so many things since then that have been, I don't want to say goofier, but like more extreme that not a lot of people do, you know, just these epic adventures. And what I loved about the book is that you took something that is quote unquote normal in the adventure world, but it really did come across as super personal. And I think just even as someone who has never ridden across the U.S., you could feel the emotion coming out of it because, as you mentioned, it was like this rite of passage for you. Yeah, I, I think that's um, that's certainly what I was aiming for. So I'm, I, it's really nice to hear that. Thanks for saying that. Um, that's exactly the right thing to say. That's that's kind of the key, isn't it? Is we do these, we do all these journeys for personal reasons a lot of the time. But one of the the real beauties of them is being able to share that to to a wider audience and, and one of the easiest ways to do that is to be totally honest to be really vulnerable and just to share those really human stories and I think that's what you do really well in your podcast as well as you bring up people's human stories and and as an audience uh, member as, as a, a listener to your podcast or someone who's reading my book for that person it, you need something to be able to engage with right and to, to be able to empathize with it and that's where you get that real kind of visceral emotive feeling and when I was writing the book, I had to remind myself that this wasn't a book that was going to make me look good or heroic or brave. It was a book about being the opposite of all of those things. Um, and that's what people enjoy. Yeah, of course. And we're not going to dive too much into the book because in episode 50, way back in episode 50, if you guys are interested in that, we do talk a lot about the book. I love the book. It's called The Road Headed West. It'll be linked up in the show notes so you guys can catch all that. And, and again, I don't want to dive too much into your backstory because you know there there is a whole episode about that but a lot of people listening you know weren't with us at episode 50 and you get to call yourself an adventurer like you know you you use the term job and we all use that loosely now but as your job you're an adventurer and that's a pretty cool thing to say so how did that come about because i love introing you and all your adventurer friends cuz i get to say like a british adventurer and that's even to me, sounds awesome. So how did you become an adventurer? 
<laughs> well, there's a lot of ways to answer that. Probably the most honest way is to say that I created a website that said Leon McCarran Adventurer, and that was it. <laughs> Got some business cards made. Maybe, you know, you can put your name on anything, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, you can be whatever you want to be these days. It, it starts to get quite serious when I have to file my tax returns every year and have to think about what I'm going to put down. But yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is my job, for want of a better word. It's certainly the thing that I put all of my time and energy into, and it's the thing that pays my bills. And I'm, I'm just super fortunate that it's also my passion and my hobby. Of course, no one pays me to go on adventures. I, I'm still yet to find the key to that. The way in which I make it work is that I tell stories from the adventures that I go on. So I go and do something that I think is interesting to me, but also that I think will I'll, I'll be able to find a, a similar-minded group of people who can enjoy it as well. And then I create as much as I can artistically around it. So I write about it um, in in my first book and also in, a, in articles from newspapers and magazines. I blog, I take pictures, I make films, uh, I give talks, just all these ways to try and share these stories. So it's I sometimes feel like I'm I'm constantly trying to do lots of different things, not particularly well. But and and sometimes that can be kind of disheartening because I think, wow, I wish I was just really good at one thing. You know, these people that are just so good at one thing, I'm really envious of that. But at other times, and fortunately, most of the time, I just feel really grateful to be able to launch myself into all of these sorts of things. And I, I'm pretty sure that that's something you can relate to as well. Yeah, well, we got to the point, you know, because we get the question all the time, what, what do you actually do? And, you know, there's like, well, there's a short answer. We can say we're professional travelers, which then, of course, usually spurs on, well, what does that mean? And then we have to give them the long answer anyway, which is like, well, we have a website and a podcast and we write and this and that, you know, and we and we shoot video. And, you know, of course, then people ask the third question, which is like, oh, that's cool. But how do you make money? And then you're like, all right, now this is the long, long answer. Right. And it's basically you just do anything that, yeah, that, that you said that you think people are going to resonate with, want, like, and try to turn what it is that you enjoy doing, which is the adventure and, and, and what we enjoy, enjoy doing with the travel and turn that into something that then someone yeah, we'll give you money for either because you're helping them or because you're entertaining them or, or whatever it is, or because they want to support someone who's doing something that they are not able to do or, or wouldn't do on their own. And yeah, it's a long, long winded answer. But in the end, yeah, we get to kind of do what we want. And and what I love about it is like you, I, I, I wish I was a better writer or a better podcaster or better at shooting video. You know, you always wish you were better at one thing, but I've also found that it's really neat because then I can create in all these different styles. And not that it's going to be the best, right? It's not the best podcast. It's not the the best video, but it keeps me on my feet, right? And learning. And that's pretty fun too. Yeah. No, I think I think that's the perfect way of putting it. And um, I'm exactly the same. I feel like I'm never going to be as clever as I'd like to be. And I'd, I'm never going to be as talented as I'd like to be. But doing this sort of makes me feel like I'm at the right end of a curve of something cool because the only reason you and I and all these other people that we hang out with are able to do what we do is because of how technology has advanced so much, even just in the last few years. And so it's super cool to just be kind of, we're not on the cutting edge because we're not developing this stuff, but you know, we're able to make a living from a laptop a lot of the time. And I just feel like the fact that that even exists has democratized a whole lot of the way in which people can think about their careers and think about what they do and start to try and find that engagement between 
paying the bills and the practical side of life and passion and art and all of that other stuff that you want to put time into. Yeah, you can actually say, I, I want to give this a go, right? Without all this overhead. I think that's what's important is it just allows people to try it and usually try it for free or a very small amount of money. So if you're a photographer and you're like, you know, I just, I think my photographs are awesome. I think my photography is amazing. You know, back in the day, I don't even know what you'd do back in the day. I don't know, run out a gallery and put it up and hope people came. I, I have no clue. But now it's like, I'm going to put up a website and I'm going to put my stuff up there. I'm going to put on stock photography and, and try to sell it. And we just have a girl who uh, joined our community location indie, which was really neat where she wants to you know, become location independent. And she's a, a photographer. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to put up a stock photography and hopefully make passive income that way. And I thought, man, so many people come to me and ask me about that because usually travelers and adventurers and people, you know, they, they love photography or at least they've gotten fairly decent at it because kind of like a requirement. You have to, you have to shoot an okay picture, you know, to tell, at least tell people what you're doing. And I thought, man, if she makes this work, like I don't have all the answers on how it works, but if she starts going down that path and makes it work, that's amazing for everyone involved because anyone who comes to me, I can say, go check this out. Like, here's what she's doing. And, and she knows a lot more than me. And I think that's a really cool part about it is you don't spend any money and you can easily find people who are kind of doing either exactly what you want to do or, or part of what you want to do. And I found that in this type of world, everyone wants to help each other out because we all know how hard it is to actually make a living off of it. Yeah, yeah. It makes those aspirational things a lot easier to, to start to follow because I guess, you know, previously if I wanted to make, if I knew that I wanted to make adventure films, I would probably just have to watch the, the latest high budget production on Discovery or the BBC or whatever. But, but there would be a total disconnect between that thing that I would watch and, and how to actually get there. Whereas now you go online and you just, you, you can literally trace out the steps that you need to take. And it's, it works slightly differently every way. That's why it's still always so much fun and an adventure in itself trying to do these things. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's just, it's cool how everything feels like it's, it's opened up so much more. Yeah. And we could talk about this forever and uh, we won't, we won't guys, I promise. We'll get to the movie. We'll get to all that. I want to just then ask you for the, in the last 16 months, the book came out. So we touched on that. It's been doing very, very well. And I love these uh, catching up with or, or where are they now episodes because yeah, there's so much that happens. It's funny because I always think, what am I getting done day to day? Like, am I really accomplishing stuff? But then I get to look back at 16 months ago or however long it's been since a guest has been on and kind of take stock of myself. And I get to see how incredible it is, the stuff that you've been able to do. So we had the book. That's going. People are buying it. They're loving it. I loved it. You said, oh, yeah. And I, I, you threw this in there. It's like almost like a throwaway line. Oh, yeah. And I had like two big adventures. Fill us in on those just two big adventures that you had in the last 16 months. Well, just before the book came out, I'd been to Iran. And I went with a guy called Tom Allen, who... Um, I know that, that you know and um, that you've spoken to before. And Tom and I went to Iran to try and follow the longest um, river in the country from source to sea, simply as a way to see Iran, you know, just a, a nice excuse to hang an adventure off of. And, you know, all the good things kind of come from that. You give yourself a bit of a story and then just see what happens. So I did that. Um, and then towards the end of the year, after I would kind of spent some time telling people that they should buy my book, 
which I, I find kind of a, a stressful process. I think of all the things that I have to do, the, the marketing and self-publicity side of it is the one that I enjoy the least. Um, so I rewarded myself with a, another journey off into the wilderness. And um, I went again with Tom Allen. I just uh, couldn't get rid of him that year. <laughs> and uh, the two of us, I, it was kind of a crazy journey because I, I only found the, the starting thread for the story like four or five weeks before we flew out there. And it was simply, I was, I was looking at some stuff in South America. I, I was kind of interested in doing a journey in, in that area, but I, I wanted to find the right story. And I found this document, this kind of historical document about a journey that was made along this river called the Santa Cruz, which is uh, cuts across Argentina, right down to the bottom of Patagonia. And the team was led by this guy called Fitzroy, who was this you know, classic British captain in the 1830s. And then along with him, he had this really young kid. He was about 25 years old, still trying to figure out what he was doing with his life. But he was Charles Darwin before he was the Darwin that we all know for, you know, origin of species and changing the entire way in which we view the world. And so I was really interested in this kind of formative expedition of one of the great thinkers of, of the world. So I was planning just to go and follow their journey and then... As I researched that a little bit more, I realized that the Argentinian government were about to build two huge dams on this river uh, for a cost of like five billion US dollars. And it was super controversial uh, because, you know, the, the government were saying it would create a lot of jobs and a lot of energy that was needed. But there was a whole other side to it about the environmental damage and the poor planning and no one really seemed to know what was going on because no one had been down there. It was such a wild part of the world. So I thought, well, if this is going to change forever... <laughs> enter no enter one... Leon and Tom, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if ever there was a cause that we should be going to go and see, this, is, this was made for us. We simply went there. We found a, an Argentinian guy that uh, I knew through a friend of a friend. We got five horses and we rode off down this river and, and tra- tried to document it for hopefully not the last time. But the idea was... We documented just in case it was the last time, in case these dams do get built. And I mean, it was so wild and beautiful. And it's the first time I'd ever done a journey on horseback. I don't think I'd ever felt anywhere so so remote because of that. You know, if you if you're on foot or certainly if you're on bike or anything like that, you have to stick near roads ish or trails. On foot, you can get off road, but you need to take some supplies um, or at least be near to water with with horses it just opens up a whole new kind of wilderness travel. And it was super cool. Had you ridden a horse before? Because obviously this is the first journey by horse, but I imagine that'd be tough if you like weren't at least used to riding horses. You should speak to Tom. Um, <laughs> Tom, well, first, I'd, I'd ridden horses when I was a kid and I hated it. I never enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I like, hate it too. So I, I'm <laughs> thinking like this would be awful. I mean, it sounds like romanticized. It sounds incredible. But yeah. yeah, realistically, it sounds awful to me. When I was a kid, I, I'd ridden horses quite a lot, I think, a, a bunch of times because I grew up on a farm in Ireland. Um, but it, you're meant to have this connection with the animal, right? And it's got to be mutual trust and enjoyment. And there was none of that. Like I would get on this horse and I would hit it for about 10 minutes and the horse would know I was hitting it and then it would throw me off into some wall somewhere. Um, and that was my experience of horse riding. But and, I, and the last time I was on a horse, I was probably like 14 years old. But I kind of slowly over the years, because it had been this part of my childhood and a lot of my family are still back 
you know, on the farm and still involved with um, animals and with horses, I kind of thought it would be cool if I could form a connection again with, with these animals. So I was hoping that it would work out well. And it did. I, once we got to Argentina and I got these horses, I got on and, you know, it was a little uncomfortable to begin with, but I sort of remembered. I remembered how to ride and I really enjoyed it. And it, it just it came super quick. And we were lucky we had, Tom and I had Jose, this Argentinian guy with us who is, you know, an expert in horse care and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we, we knew that we had someone with us to, to help us with that part. But it was fantastic. For Tom, Tom had ridden a horse once before in his entire life. And uh, when we got to Argentina, he I remember standing there at this place where we were going to pick up the horses. And he was like, I'm kind of scared of horses. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't a good start. And he had the worst time. Like, he just found, found it really hard and really painful. He was walking like John Wayne for weeks. I think he's still didn't really like that aspect of it one bit yeah Uh, so that was kind of fun too for me (laughs) well i can't wait to have tom back on them we'll get his side of it too and um are you guys turning that into a film that's a story that i don't know what's going to happen with that because that that is a project that is like have you announced anything with that or that's kind of coming up yeah so that's that's kind of in the pipeline um the only thing we've really announced kind of widely with that was when we ran a crowdfunding campaign um, to fund the Iran film and that film simultaneously. We ended up crossing over into 2015 and we'd had this amazing year of adventures, but we needed to turn them into something because otherwise it's, it's cool, but you know, it's, not, it's not the job. Um, and also we wanted to share these stories. So we ran a crowdfunding campaign, which was really cool. We hit our target on Kickstarter and we got this uh, money that basically allowed us to professionally edit two feature-length films. So we, we've been working on them for most of this year, and that means that one of the films is ready to come out, um, and the other one, the one from Patagonia, is close to, close to being finished, but we've, we've, we don't want to release them both at the same time, so we're going to do one first, and then probably the start of next year we'll start telling everyone about the Santa Cruz River. See, you're not you're not so bad at marketing. You know at least not to release two films at the same time, right? I think I had to be told that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's get into the one that is coming out, Karun, and that is the the story that you told the the first adventure of of 2014, and that was following um from source to sea, the longest river in Iran, and I remember seeing it when the Kickstarter came out, the little teaser video, and was just blown away by you know, it was only a minute and a half or maybe even less, like a minute and 15 seconds. And I thought, wow, this is not what I expected at all. And I think that's the the point of the film. You know, it, it's an adventure to a country that most people, you know, would never, not even never dream of going. You know, if you if you gave your country list, like, all right, what countries do you want to go to? Yeah, they probably wouldn't even think to put Iran on because it wouldn't, like, why would I go there type thing? Whose idea was the trip in Iran? Was it yours? Was it Tom's? Was it this? like, where did that come from? Because that is such a, a foreign idea to go to Iran and, and actually travel through that country. Because especially, you know, nowadays people think like, well, I would never go through there. You know, they, they have all these misconceptions about it. Sure. Yeah. It's a massively misunderstood country. And, and it's totally, you know, you, you couldn't blame anyone for thinking that because all the, all 
Western media shows, when it talks about Iran, is generally negative. And, you know, that's because there's been no diplomatic relations really for a very long time. And um, the West and Iran just don't get on. It's, uh, it's got this regime that are completely fundamentally in opposition to everything that the West and democracy stands for. So consequently, all we ever hear is, you know, there were these terrorists from Iran who did this thing somewhere, or uh, Iran has these awful human rights abuses, or this or that or whatever. And what we wanted to do was not, certainly not try and account for any of that, uh, but to, to be, if it's ever possible, to be apolitical about it, um, and simply to show to a large audience that there is another side, and to show that a government and a media representation of a country and the people within that country are two totally separate things. So, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that for a lot of people in the US and in the UK, if we knew that the rest of the world, or if we thought that the rest of the world associated us personally with the government of our country, a lot of people wouldn't be happy with that, right? It's, you know, right. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's totally different. That was kind of the goal. Uh, it's quite a high concept thing to try and do through adventure, but you know, it's good to be amb- ambitious with these things. And the idea was Tom's because Tom has now got connections with Iran through family. He's married to uh, a girl who's half Iranian. And so he spent a couple of years learning the language, learning Farsi, uh, to connect more with his family on that side um, and in preparation for this trip so that when we went there and traveled there, we could get a little bit more of a, an insight, hopefully, into what we were seeing and experiencing. So when when Tom kind of came to you with this idea of like, hey, man, we're going to go through Iran, we're going to go, you know, from source to sea, longest river in Iran. I mean, was it just something you jumped on or were you kind of like, let me hear more details first? Um, I, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think probably the first one. because yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine that's probably how it happened, but maybe yeah. not. Well, there's certain, you know, there's things in life where someone suggests something to you or you have an idea yourself maybe or whatever it is but sometimes something pops into your head one way or another and you just think if I said no to this I would totally regret it when I'm older um this would be a missed opportunity and I think when someone comes to you and says would you like to paddle down the longest river in Iran and see what it's like when else might I get that opportunity? Sure, yeah. I'll you mean that. people don't ask you that every third day, right? They don't come to the door like, let's go do this. Not yet. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> I'm with you. I just think that that is to the point. It's it's so crazy because because of what we already think. And, and again, those misconceptions come from a lot of the media attention and just not really knowing the people of a country, but only knowing the representation of the government and and how our government feels and things like that. So I want to touch a little bit then on, you know, what it really was like. Like, what were your thoughts going in? Because we, we have these misconceptions. And even if we know they're probably not true, we don't know what the truth is. And that was one of the reasons you undertook this journey. Like, what were some of the biggest differences between what you actually thought going in and then what it was actually like and and how it was on the other side? One of the things I found really strange, actually, was that uh, alongside that really negative uh, impression that we get of Iran, I also had this other influence as well, which was that anyone I'd ever spoken to who traveled to Iran themselves loved it and just came back with the most incredible stories of hospitality and friendliness. And so that intrigued me as well was 
what where, where does this disconnection come from? You know, because these are two opposite ends of the spectrum between what we're told and and then uh, by kind of official sources and then what people say who travel there personally. So I, I tried to go there as open minded as possible, but it's it's hard to go to somewhere like that and not be slightly worried and um, slightly concerned, and especially uh, as we were taking video cameras. And it's a can be a very very oppressive country, and um, free speech is not encouraged uh, in in a lot of senses and. To go there with cameras um, like we had to try and make our film, one thing you don't want to be seen as in Iran is a unsolicited journalist. You know, that's, that's a, a bad scenario to end up in. So I was really concerned about that. And, and that did end up being kind of an issue. You know, there, there, we ended up in quite a lot of police stations. Um, we ended up being taken away to be questioned a few times, quite a few times, because we had these cameras and because we were in remote areas where, you know, there's not normally tourists. So just by virtue of being there in the first place, we raised question marks. And then the fact we might be using cameras was was a whole other thing. So that that was kind of the difficult side of it was that, yes, I found that it was sometimes hard to express ourselves in the way we wanted to. The other side of it was that it is perhaps... I would say certainly for me, it's the friendliest country I've ever been to. And, you know, I haven't been to all of them, but I've, I've been to a lot of places. And uh, I've always said that the Middle East was the friendliest region I'd been to. Um, and it's just a huge part of the culture there. And part of Islamic culture is to be very hospitable and to take in strangers and look after them. And Iran, even more so than anywhere else, we were taken in so many times um, and you know, the more remote we got, the more into the mountains we went, the more people went out of their way to make sure we had what we needed. And so that just totally blew me away. I was kind of expecting that we might find some of that, but it was much more overwhelming than I could even have hoped for. Wow. Do you think that any of that has to do with Tom and speaking Farsi, or is that would could that be recreated if it had been me and you, and neither of us spoke the language at all, and we were just you know, bumbling around and, and we couldn't speak to people. Do you think that would, would still hold true? Yeah, I think it would actually. And that's kind of the cool thing. Uh, and I've, I mean, this is what happens a lot when you travel as, as you and a lot of your listeners will know, you know, you, a lot of us travel to places where we don't speak the language and you can get by quite a lot with just sign language and, you know, you, you kind of body language. You, you, people know that you're tired or hungry or you want to go to this place or whatever, and it's fine. And in Iran, it's exactly the same. The, the culture of hospitality isn't dependent on the level or the quality of communication. We were taken in by people or people would stop to give us water by the side of the road or offer us their help before they knew whether or not we could speak Farsi. And I think for the most part, they would probably assume that we couldn't. You know, it's, right. it's not, yeah, it's not a very normal thing for Westerners to be able to do, I would uh, say. But the fact that we did allowed us to then take that a level further. So uh, I guess in answer to your question, no, it, it didn't, Tom's Farsi ability didn't affect whether or not people would help us, but it allowed us to talk to like him to talk to them a little bit more and, you know, learn some, just learn a little bit about them, about these people that had stopped and taken time out of their day to make sure that we were okay. Yeah, I think that is what I've seen across the world too, is that usually it might even help not to speak the language at first when it comes to that initial, you know, friendliness from the other person, whoever's country you're traveling through, because 
you know, you are like the, the idiot abroad. And that's a term I use a lot. Uh, actually, Colin Wright, I think he was like guest number three or something on the show. Use that term and it always comes back to me because it's such a perfect term. You know, you are, you're kind of just naive. You're wandering through, you know, it's pretty obvious that you don't know what's happening a lot of times when you're traveling because you are so open and you're so vulnerable and you're probably like looking up in the sky like, wow, look at all this stuff, you know, and and people can sense that. And I think that generally the more vulnerable you are, the the friendlier they're going to be because it's an opportunity to really make an impact. Oh, this person's lost or, or this person, you know, they just kind of see the wonder in your eyes and, and they want to live through that in some way. But it is neat then if you do have the ability to speak, and this happened to me a lot in Japan, you know, I, I couldn't speak good enough Japanese to, to really dive deep with someone. But when I was with my friends who could, it was neat because then you really got to know someone and, and it got below that even initial friendliness to become like a relationship. And so I'm assuming that for you and for Tom as well, that that was probably a pretty neat feeling that you're in a country you didn't know anything about kind of, you know, for the most part, but you could really dive deep pretty quickly because of the language was not a barrier anymore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that kind of really struck me about Iran was that while so many parts of the world, I've been the recipient of, fantastic hospitality. And, you know, my, my first trip across the U.S., I, I met so many amazing people who let me camp in their back garden or, you know, bought me a hot meal or all these sorts of things. Um, so it's not just limited to Iran by any stretch. But I think the, the reason that um, it sticks out to me is people don't just take a, a couple of minutes out to make sure that you're okay, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. But they will stop their entire day for you. And there's a couple of you know, two of my favorite moments in the film are when people, when Tom and I are in some kind of, you know, pickle of some sort. We've got ourselves into some trouble. We're, we're not quite sure what to do next. And some Iranian superhero just comes to our rescue and drops everything for as long as it takes and spends, in one case, upwards of two days with us. Um, there was this taxi driver who, uh, when he found us in our scenario, uh, which I won't say to, um, to ruin the film, because it's one of my favorite parts. I think people will enjoy it. But he, you know, almost literally threw some people out of his cab and said, right, <laughs> let's let's go see if we can fix this. And um, spent a couple of days driving us around and cooking us kebabs and looking after us. And so I think with the language, he would have done that anyway. But spending two days with someone, if you can't speak to them, that might get kind of awkward. <laughs> uh, so the fact that Tom could you know, talk to him and, and that I could then talk to him through Tom as well. It formed that bond between us that meant that two days actually went by kind of quickly rather than, you know, wow, how am I going to say something new to this guy using my three words of Farsi and sign language again? Right. And I do think that one of the cool things about going through other countries, maybe, maybe that are not as developed, let's say, is that you do find these people who even though they have a lot less, give up a whole day or just give up large chunks or, or even if it's like whatever the, the small amount of food they have, they give that up. It's a difference, I think, between traveling through a first world country and, and one that's not as developed is, you know, in the first world countries, you know, some people might be cynical and say, oh, they're not friendly, this and that. I found that first world countries, people are, are very friendly, but it's, 
I don't know. It doesn't happen as long sometimes, you know, like it might be, oh, I'll help you out. I'll point you in the right direction. Like they, they want to help, but it's so go, go, go. And then you get to some of these countries. And like you said, a guy takes two days to help you. And I don't know what it is because I haven't watched the whole film on purpose because I want to keep that fresh, you know, two days. And he's spending his whole time helping you out. And I, I found that as well with less developed countries is that even though they don't have as much, they're they're not as quick to to kind of, you know, keep their time to themselves yeah definitely and um and i think in iran it's you know it's cultural as well there's a great line that someone says in the film which is something along the lines of um iranians always have lots of time and few plans and it's um you know i i suppose what he he meant was that it's it's kind of built into the psyche of a lot of the people that we met in the country was that you you need to have this flexibility. Yeah, sure, you've got jobs to do and things to appointments to keep, but sometimes things are just unavoidable and you gotta, you know, you gotta go pick up these two strangers and drive them around for two days. And and the the strangest thing of all is that probably everyone else he spoke to would understand that. You know, if if you if you said to someone, uh, if you disappeared off grid for a couple of days and came back and your friends were like, Where were you? And you're like, I I met these couple of Iranians and they needed some help so I drove them around for two days everyone would be like what's wrong with you you know what why, why right. have you gone so strange but yeah for, or you or you'd be like in the newspaper and they'd be like local hero saves two Iranians and it'd be like this huge deal whereas there it's like no this yeah is, it's just, I, just what you do you know <laughs> um which is what I love most of all you know the fact that it's not a show it's just that's who people are and um and they, they're really keen to, to make sure that you have the best possible experience while you're in their country. Yeah, I, and I think that probably is the most misunderstood part. And, and you can speak better to that than I, than I can. But is the, the disparity between what we might think Iranians are like, because that's how their government is portrayed, and then the actual you know, friendliness of the people but another disparity, and this was like shocking, and I think the, that's the point of this part in the trailer, is that you know the first part of the trailer, kind of right in the beginning, it shows you guys walking through like knee deep snow in Iran, and you know I was just like, what what is going on here? I I, I remember one of you sent me the Kickstarter, like check this out, you know, I'm like okay, you know they're going through Iran, and then boom, you're walking through knee deep snow, and I'm thinking, did did I click the wrong link? Like, is this a different adventure? This concludes part one of my interview with Leon, but don't worry, we are just getting started. So if you like this episode, you're going to want to check out part two of my interview with Leon. Because in part two, Leon talks about the cost of his five-week trip in Iran, and it is a crazy number. It is not what I expected at all. He also talks about how to pick a travel partner, and if you should pick a travel partner, or maybe if you should take this adventure solo. He gives us details on his next upcoming adventure with Dave Cornthwaite, and he also talks about how he managed to lose the one thing you really need when paddling down a river. So all that is in part two of my interview with Leon. You can get that at Extra Pack of Peanuts dot com slash pods. You can find that on iTunes, on Stitcher, also on Jabbercast. And I also want to make you aware about the Zero to Travel podcast because over on the Zero to Travel podcast, which is hosted by my good friend and buddy who a lot of you know, Jason Moore, 
Jason interviews Tom Allen, and Tom is the other part of this dynamic duo that went on this trip that Leanne was talking about. So if you want to hear Tom's side of the story and get even more information on Karoon and the film and the adventure, head on over to Zero2Travel.com, or you can find the Zero to Travel podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Jabbercast, however you're listening to this podcast. You can also find the Zero to Travel podcast there as well. So check that out. You can see both sides of the story. And also, don't forget, most importantly, if you are interested in the film, you can go check that out at karunfilm.com. That's K-A-R-U-N-F-I-L-M.com, karunfilm.com. And a really, really cool thing that you can do, if you want to help spread the word, you can host your very own screening. So Leon and Tom will send you the movie. You can have people over. You can spread the word of Karoon. And if you want to do that, all you have to do is go on over to KaroonFilm.com and all the information is right there. So thank you guys, as always, for the support. Thank you for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And of course, as always, until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you.